It's just as well that we're here before the dog, because we've got the human factor to find in the real Charlie Chaplin. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen. Another week, and I'm very lucky, happy to say that we haven't been blown away by Storm Dudley, and we are still here and intact today talking about our top movies of the week on the big screen, the small screen, and everything in between. It has been a wild ride across... <laughs> A number of different years. Um, a wild windy ride, shall we say. Mm. <laughs> How you doing, Van? Oh, I've had better weeks, if I'm honest. For releases, this was not a good week. Like, we fought mm. tooth and nail to come up with four entire movies to cover this week. Would have been easier if we'd, if we'd had one that they've, they've since denied. But they, uh, they didn't put out screening links for one of them, uh, so we couldn't review it. We will preview it later on in the streaming section, notably. And I was very excited about that. Such a good trailer. We've even got a clip. We just can't review it annoyingly because, you know, I won't mm. see it until, you know, the day this airs um so in the meanwhile we have cobbled together four we we have got the we of course got the big hitter of the week which is channing tatum going dogging so to speak and uh, <laughs> there's a charlie chaplin documentary but we do have two others so let's cover those first and let's talk then firstly about here before which i think you've seen here before haven't you yeah, I have, and it stars Andrea Riseborough, and she is donning her finest Northern Irish accent to, uh, to oh, take yeah. us through a story very different to Belfast. So if that's what you're expecting, you'll be, you'll be disappointed. Uh, no, this is the story, a modern-day story, of a mother who has a new family turn up next door to her, and she befriends the little girl in the family, and things start to get a little bit weird. There's a little bit of... Uh, of, uh, I suppose, similarities between the new girl and um, Andrea Rye's brothers, uh, Andrea Riseborough's recently deceased daughter. The white girl puts me in mind of Josie. She'd be about the same age. When we came here before, I was too small for these, wasn't I? You've never been here before. We have. There was a yellow thing, a fish. She knows places Josie. Josie! You're trying to warn me here now? I understand that I sound crazy. Megan is not. Ah! Josie. How do you know? Now, you know me. I love me a, a, a genre bent thriller. You know, I love me a supernaturally tinged, spine chiller, etc. And, and, you know, this is, in, right, right, falls right in that wheelhouse. It's not mm. the most original concept ever because, you know, we all know this because we've seen this story done seven ways from Sunday. You know, we, we, we you know, six ways from Sunday, seven ways. I never know how many ways there's. Um, however many ways from Sunday, we've seen it done. And... The thing here that sets it apart, though, is that Riseborough performance. It is absolutely mm. that. And there's a couple of uh, neat little things in there. It has been put together very well. There's great cinematography, great shot composition in there, um, great score as well. But it is all about Riseborough. It's all about that performance. I would argue you could swap out any other cast member on this, but you have to keep Riseborough. And mm. she's the thing that sets it apart. Because for the longest time, it's not an especially long film either. It's about 100 minutes or so. Uh, you, you go through this, and for the longest time, like about a third of the runtime, I didn't feel that engaged by it. I didn't feel that involved. And then round about apart the point that I, I sort of thought that I was mentally, you know, would have been mentally checked out by that point, I was, I was kind of, I thought, okay, I'm actually, hang on, I actually care now. Andrea Riseborough has sucked me in. And she's yeah. very, very good. It's a great performance. 
because it's buried so firmly in the emotion of the character rather than any of the plot mechanics. And you can argue that that makes the film a little bit slow for a mainstream audience, but on the other hand, it does sell a relatively cookie-cutter, genre-bending, you know, supernatural spinchula to the Guardian crowd, effectively. Yeah, yeah, and I have to agree with you. I think it is, you're there to see Andrew Riseborough do her thing, and it's a small film. It's a small film that is very well-formed. I completely agree with you that there were points where I was like, where is this going to go? Because it is, it is losing my attention. And then there is a u-turn in it that suddenly sort of brings everything back which i kind of go ah it's got really interesting now and that's the bit that you want to hold on for but i think it is dangerous with a hundred minute film yeah that if you're already feeling that there's there's a point where you're being lost in such a short space of time that is something to be considered i think the performance of the little girl megan in it is good i think everything you've got to kind of be in the mood for a film like this where you just want to watch a good actor, do a really good role and be completely immersed in it, but not expect anything else from the surroundings. Hang on, and then I'm completely, you'll, be, you'll be satisfied. I'm, mi- I'm mixing up my movies, by the way. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm mixing up my movies. This one isn't 100 minutes. This, that, that's another one. Um, this one is 83. So by, oh, the, by, that, by that point, I think I was about half an hour in. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and this is the thing. It's, there's two very simple settings in here. There's the school and there's the house. And there's a park, actually, sorry, to add that on. And you don't go, you don't really go to many other places within this. And it kind of is a bit bleak just in its setting. It looks cold. It's a bit mucky and gray and gray and yeah, dank. And look, it it works. It works. It just needs a little bit of oomph to get it going. But overall, a solid watch, I think. What else have we got there? I do think that Riseborough gives us some oomph. We get some bang for that book. But we have also got this week Human Factors, which, and I know I'm not the only person to say this out loud about this movie. We've not got a clip for this one because it's entirely foreign language. Worth noting, by the way, that as we were prepping this show, we were given the description of the wrong Human Factors. The, the, oh, we no. had a clip. We had a clip on file for a different movie named The Human Factor. That's a documentary about negotiating peace in the Middle East with Bill Clinton. <laughs> Um, So our clip will not work here. So we are going to talk instead about what I can only describe as Michael Haneke Light. It's a debut film from, not debut, I think this is his sophomore effort, from uh, Ronnie Trocker. Uh, foreign language director who's brought this it's effectively a sort of i think it's french french language in this french and french and belgian i think um you get a family who are on the precipice uh, on, on the on the on the edge of taking on the verge of taking a contract the public family of publicists by the way taking a contract to basically run a european election campaign as they're mm. debating whether or not to do this they they journey to their vacation home where they discover it's been broken into and this one event sets off just a series of squabbles and interpersonal conflict within the family dynamic and each each member of this four-person family has their own thing they're dealing with but this home invasion incident starts to bring those separate storylines all into the fore and then you'll yeah that kind of thing um this is Again, it wants to be bonkers and it wants to be Haneke. And I'm, I'm a very big Haneke fan. I'm a very big funny games fan. I even, I actually almost prefer the American remake. Would you believe I'm, I'm on the fence on that one? But I, I could be persuaded to prefer the American remake to funny games. Let that say what, what it will of you, uh, will to you of me. But uh, this 
not quite up to that level. This is not quite up to Hannigay degree. Mm. It's a little too abstract. It's a little bit too much, seemingly, about nothing. But it does pull a very Hannigay trick in constantly revisiting the home invasion from different perspectives. Well, the home invasion from different perspectives. There's a little bit more to it than that, but you, you get there later on. Including, at one point, I swear to God I'm not making this up, from the perspective of the kid's pet rat. That is an actual thing. There is a pet rat named Zorro who we actually get to see this. This home invasion from the perspective of uh, good performances in there. Uh, Michael Washke in there and, and Martha Schneider. Great chemistry. Uh, absolutely nailed the dramatic beats in there. The problem is that the story itself, I can say too abstract, doesn't really sell the suspense of it. You you want to feel that tension. That The drama is trying to build the tension and the performances are there. I just don't think the script and the story is... Welcome back to Off Screen. Now we're going to take you on a little bit of a, a reminiscent trip back in time to probably at the time the greatest star that walked the planet in the early 20th century. And that is, of course, Charlie Chaplin. Um, I've been fascinated by Chaplin. I have to say the Robert Downey Jr. movie Chaplin oh, yeah. was one of the first movies that I saw that really got me into my love of, of, of film. And... I have been so interested about his background for such a long time. And this documentary is going to be really interesting for a lot of people because there's going to be a whole generation that isn't familiar with Charlie Chaplin or his work. And so this um, actually looks at a slightly darker side of Charlie Chaplin. It looks a little bit more at his relationships with essentially child brides, his kind of reported mm. abusive behaviour, his the accusations around him potentially being a communist, but also the kind of mental and uh, physical sort of abuse that he received as a child, which may have explained some of his actions going forwards. But ultimately, it is a, an incredible mishmash of footage and reconstructed footage that really pieces together a star in a generation. I thought, well, I mean, everything in a contradiction. Spanish mountains, tight coat, large head, small hat, cave, large pair of old shoes. In fact, the shoes were sterlings. The trousers, fatty arbuckles. And the hat belonged to somebody's father. The costume isn't stolen, but it's assembled, magpie-like, from bits of other costumes. I, I really love this movie. I, I saw I'm seeing this. I wasn't going to two different screenings of this. I saw it the first time, learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't know about Chaplin, went and revisited a bunch of his movies and Robert Downey Jr. in Richard Attenborough's Chaplin, which is, incidentally, one of my favourite ever movies and a very nice memory mm. I have of my grandmother as well, actually, um, and then saw this a second time. And believe it or not, I managed to get even more out of it. Um, I still, because it's a film I didn't even know existed, which I think is his final film, which is called Limelight in which he's effectively playing himself. He's playing a fictionalised version of himself, which I, I've, I've got on my Just Watch um, mm. list. Uh, as soon as I can find a copy somewhere, DVD or anything, I'm going to watch the hell out of that. Um, this, uh, you can tell from the clip, this is narrated um, by uh, Bill from uh, from Doctor Who, Bill Mackey, uh, direct, uh, direct, uh, narrates this. Directed by Peter Middleton and James Spinney, it's big gimmick, as I was talking to Matt Turner about this, it's big gimmick and the only thing that really sets it apart 
is its use of two sources of archival material. It has mm. an interview um, with Effie, one of Charlie Chaplin's sort of cousins, his childhood friend who he sort of treated as a cousin and who knew him as he was growing up and reconnected with him very briefly at an event later in life. You know, met up with him once more. And we get to see this reconstructed with the audio of the actual interview. It's an interview that took place, I think, in the early 80s. Uh, you've also got um, the interview that Chaplin himself undertook for his mm. biography, which we see recreated here. If you've seen the, 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 the Robert Downey Jr. one, it's effectively the framing device for that movie. We saw it done with, with Anthony Hopkins in the movie. You see it done here, recreated with sort of no-name actors, but with the actual audio. And it is strange mm. hearing some of those lines just word for word that you heard yeah. Downey Jr. come out with 30 years ago, but hearing the actual original version of it, and if you go back and you view that movie, you do see that Chaplin's book is the source material for uh, Attenborough's one. So there is a lot of overlap. The exploration, the exploration, exploration of Chaplin's own controversies, I think is a little bit soft-pedaled, and I don't think is dealt with quite in the manner that you would assume a Chaplin documentary in the 2020s, particularly with, let's just say, certain sociological movements and events, perhaps should be. I think what's interesting, though, is that they we haven't really seen in a documentary before uh, some of his, the audio and hearing some of his previous wives actually speak. So there's a, a TV yeah. interview with one of his wives and you kind of hear her be interviewed there and it, it, it gives that extra oomph I think to the documentary now I actually had a little issue with with Pearl Mackey who who narrated it because at the beginning it takes a while to kind of build up any steam and it feels very almost like you're sat in a classroom learning about the background it felt very teacher-led at the beginning but as it's got a, it's got a false intro it's, it's got a, a, a fake out intro it's got a whole se- there's like five entire minutes at the beginning that don't need to mm. be there in which they're talking yeah, about I agree. how popular the, the, the people kept seeing Chaplin everywhere. You're like, cool. And then they go, and here's the first time, Charlie, here's the first time anyone saw Charlie Chaplin. You're like, yeah, but we just didn't need the previous five minutes. Yeah, and like, that five minutes can lose people straight away yeah. because it sets the wrong kind of tone for the, for the movie, for the documentary. But once it gets into it, gosh, the footage is incredible. Yeah. Like... I even forgot, like, with The Great Dictator, just how impactful the speech at the end is, that transition into talkies where he finally makes that jump to say, I'm going to move from silent to talkie movies and I'm going to do it this way. And then he was asked to recreate that, I think, yeah. for, the, for for Roosevelt, was it? Um, uh, I think I think it was. Uh, the, the, yeah. the line that I really love in there, tying into what you said, the line that I really love in there is he spent, you know, decades as a silent movie star and then once he spoke, he wouldn't shut up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it overall, got him into look, a lot of trouble. It got him into a lot of trouble. It did indeed. And it also killed the tramp as well. That was yes. the moment the tramp died. So, look, it's so fascinating to see that. I do think there could have been a little bit more about how he managed to really kind of make the solid mark in Hollywood that he did. It kind of sort of jumped from, he jumped on a boat, got into the US, and then suddenly everything happened and suddenly he started to be in movies and things like that. It's like, did it kind of happen that easily? But anyway, regardless of that, the understanding of how he characterized his comic movements and, and and falling downstairs and all that kind of stuff and the effort and the fact that he did takes 100, 200 times to get something right was 
infuriating for everyone, but fascinating for us to see in such a condensed way. Look, guys, we're, we're giving too much away here. Go watch yeah. it. It is, yeah, sorry, we could talk about it for hours because it really was that fascinating. Ignore the first five minutes, get going, and, and then you'll really, really enjoy it. Okay, one one that we're going to have to be quick with anyway. And thankfully, there isn't an awful lot to say about it. I mean, I, I could in a hilarious drunk sort of way if I really wanted to. But uh, Dog, starring, starring uh, produced by and co-directed by Channing Tatum. This is his directorial debut with his production partner, Reed Carolyn, who I think is a name you've seen around for years because he's always been sort of connected with, uh, with Channing Tatum. Uh, this is loosely based on Channing Tatum's relationship with his actual dog, and one assumes his experience filming G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, or Dear John, perhaps, <laughs> who knows? But the basic plot is, Channing Tatum is Briggs. He's a soldier who's been kicked out of the army for an injury he sustained while, in, while on deployment. Uh, he's got a concussion. It's causing him to have, you know, uh, health issues, vision problems, uh, concentration. Uh, what do they call uh, equilibrium, the equilibrium thing? Uh, but oh, vertigo. Balance problem. Vertigo. Oh, like, it's like yeah. a vertigo type thing as well. Um, and all he needs is a medical clearance to sort of get him, you know, a medical pass to go over the line. He's basically blackmailed into escorting a military dog, an unruly, uncontrollable military dog named Lulu, cross-country, and who he has experience with in his unit, cross-country to the family funeral of a fallen comrade who happens to have been Lulu's handler, you know, out on deployment. And, uh, it, of course, it's a mismatched buddy comedy with a road trip element and a dog. What? What is your deal, man? Come on. You're slobbering all over my seats. <laughs> Maybe just take crazy down. Just like one notch. Just one notch, that's it. Maybe we could get along. And if we get along, maybe we could even have some fun and send Riley off right. Doesn't that sound nice, dog? I'm all you got. I'm it. It's just me. So is it Turner and Hooch, but without the charm? <laughs> okay, first of all, it's got bags of charm. It actually has. I'm not I'm not here to smack talk it. I actually think Dog is pretty good and pretty charming. It is middle of the road as it can get. It's a you know, bare bones basic idea concept you've seen done a million times. I will say though, imagine what would happen, Bex, if someone threw a ton of money at someone with the mentality of me and then said, Go and make a family friendly movie about a man and a dog. What do you think you'd get? Um, the answer would be somewhat close to Dog, a movie that opens, incidentally, in a 12-month period in which we have reviewed cow, lamb, and pig. So why not Dog as well? Um, this thing is... That sense of humour that Channing Tatum brought to 21 Jump Street is here. It's here, and it's oh, in the production of the movie. So you've got a family-friendly movie that involves diversions for aborted comedy three-ways, entire sequences, drug-addled three-ways as well, entire sequences that are set up to, like, fake out the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at one stage, featuring a top-of-his-game charm-level Kevin Nash, incidentally, so one for the WWE boys in there. Um... <laughs> It's, it's bizarre. Like, you can watch this with your kids, but and, and they'll love it, because it's a very cute dog movie, but you will at the same time be like, um, uh, that, we'll tell you about that when you're older. There's a lot of that going on. This <laughs> thing's 12A. But I will say, though, take the tissues. It, 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 it's a dog movie. You can you can check doesthedogdie.com if you want the answer one way or the other. I'm not spoiling that bit for you. But it's a movie about a dog, so obviously there have to be some tears. Good or bad, there have to be tears. Yes, indeed, there are. Well-earned tears. 
And I do think Channing Tatum is about about as charming as he could possibly get. I will say though, if there had to be, you know, if there had to be only one big movie out this week, I'm begrudgingly grateful that it was Dog. I had a great time with it. Welcome back to Offscreen, and this time we're going Freeview. And it's my distinct pleasure to introduce this week's offerings, starting tonight on Friday the 18th, of course, uh, with one of my very, very favourite movies. Um, this is Videodrome by none other than David Cronenberg. Uh, this stars J James Woods, back when it was acceptable to cast James Woods in movies, alongside Debbie Harry. It's from the year I was born, no less. This is from 1983. Uh, so this is... Yeah, quite early Cronenberg, but arguably probably his most iconic next to the fly, I would say. Uh, so it's on 10.50 to, uh, tonight on the Horror Channel. James Woods is the TV executive. Remember, this is this was, this was the 80s when they made this. The TV executive who's checking out what this trendy new VHS thing is about and what new content he could acquire from it that could appeal to his audience, only to discover the show called Videodrome that takes a toll on him both mentally and indeed physically. Do remember that David Cronenberg is the original master of body horror. So when I tell you that this is a literal representation, this is, you know, the old thing of people getting their minds warped by the things they watch in movies. This is what happens if you could physically manifest it, as represented by the then acceptable presence, I say then acceptable presence, of only James Woods. My father helped to create Videodrome. He saw it as the next phase in the evolution of man as a technological animal. When he realized what his partners were going to use it for, he tried to take it away from them. And they killed him. Quietly. At the end, he was convinced that public life on television was more real than private life in the flesh. He wasn't afraid to let his body die. <sighs> Tell me about my video drone problem. My father knows much more about it than I do. Listen to him. Ooh, I think I spent my 80s watching The Fly rather than Videodrome, so I'll definitely want to check this one out. So that's on 10.50pm on the Horror Channel on tonight. And then let's have something a little bit more mainstream for tomorrow. <laughs> so on Saturday at 9pm on, ch on Channel 4 is Bohemian Rhapsody, Rami Malek's Oscar-winning performance as Freddie Mercury. And we look at a very, I suppose, straight down the line view biopic of how Queen became Queen. I really like it's this. I, I do enjoy this. Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, famously, this is, I think this will, this may well be remembered as the final film of Brian, Brian Singer, effectively, but uh, mm. sort of color, not collaborative direction, but co-direction from Brian Singer and Dexter Fletcher, who, of course, would then go on to direct the, I think, much superior Rocket Man straight after this. Great performance from Malik. The only problem is he's the weakest part of an otherwise fun film. Like, Queen are great. When Queen are in the film, they're great, and the movie's worth watching just for them. Gwilym uh, Lee as, uh, mm. as, as uh, uh, oh, God, well, Brian May. Brian May. Uh, <laughs> as Brian May is, is absolutely fantastic in this movie. There's so much going for it. It's just a shame that when you're dealing with the Freddy stuff, it just doesn't quite work. The performance is there. The material is not. And fans of Freddie, I mean, I'm a big Freddie Mercury fan. I've watched just about every documentary you could ever watch on Freddie Mercury. And I, I, I'm sad to say that anyone with even a cursory knowledge of the life of Freddie Mercury will watch this and go, well, hang on, I mean, that, that didn't happen. That, that's not how that happened. And that, if you can get past that, though, eh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a nice uh, 
uh, nice sort of easy easy ride into understanding their life their life journey mm. as a band I think which is good right so let's move on to the next one Van we've got on Sunday we've got 4.55 at Film 4 we've got Playing With Fire yes Playing With Fire which stars the star of one of the best things on television right now and I saw the finale uh, yesterday well this morning because we're recording this on Thursday I saw the finale of Peacemaker so I'm in love with John Cena right now uh, this is John Cena is the firehouse chief the play it by the book up in the uh, you know the, the the woodland mountains firehouse chief who um is forced to take in a group of children whose house burns down while the parents are away now especially guard the kids until the the parents return you know as you sort of would expect a fire department they're so remote they don't have social services for instance and it is about how this by the book fire chief is basically finds himself sort of coming to you've seen this done a thousand times but this is john cena doing coming to discover the joys of love and family even within his own firehouse unit uh, you can see this what i think is a, a pretty fun family movie very much in the vein of something like the game plan or something like that um the standard here's a, an action star on a white poster leaning and some children um this is his one 2019 <laughs> you can see it sunday film for 455 perfect time to see it like i say you can line the poster up next to the likes of the game plan the pacifier any of those movies where white poster here's a wrestler and some kids this one though i think one of the better ones. Have a listen. Put that down. No shenanigans on my watch. Yeah, no monkey shines, tomfoolery, or hijinks. You finished? Long as there's not a hint of malarkey. Oh. Now, if I didn't know any better, I would say that that was sarcasm. So why don't we just take it down a notch, sister, okay? Maybe a little gratitude would be helpful. Sorry, bud, we just don't speak oldsy times. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, but she's not stopping. Keegan-Michael Key there, who I absolutely love, as you know. Something else I love, and I revisited this very recently, this week, in fact. Um, on Monday, great movies at 6.40, and a movie that I don't think gets anywhere near enough praise, I think it deserves a lot more, is Stealth from 2005. This was an early Blu-ray purchase for a lot of people because it came with a lot of Blu-ray players and, and PS3s, I think, at the time, uh, when they launched. Um, this stars uh, Jamie Foxx uh, alongside... Oh, my God, I can never remember the guy's name. One of the interchangeable guy. Uh, Jessica Beale is in there. Josh, Josh, Josh Lucas, I think is his name. Uh, mm. Josh Lucas. And uh, this is the, the effectively AI Top Gun. This is an elite fighter squadron who are given experimental planes known as Talons, next generation hypersonic fighter jets, um, who are assigned with taking out terrorist threats all around the world. Like they literally can zip from one continent to another in minutes with these new state of the art hyper engines that they've got. Uh, they are paired up with a new AI-powered UCAV unmanned combat aerial vehicle called Eddie, E-D-I, Eddie, voiced by Wentworth Miller, no less, with a nice digital echo in there, who, uh, you know, is meant to work alongside them, and he's the he's the go-to droid who can take on the, uh, the combat missions they can't. They have trust issues, though, that very quickly become justified when Eddie gets struck by lightning during a landing, and his, his artificial intelligence gains its own set of uh, set of priorities and sets off to take out targets all around the world leading them to have to take him down hell of a banger some great visual effects well worth checking out on great movies monday at 640
Great. I did not know that about the whole Blu-ray thing. That's really interesting. So let's move swiftly on to um, something that was quite an awards darling for its star, Viggo Mortensen, at the time. Um, it's on 11.15pm on BBC Two. It's called Captain Fantastic. Now, I've not seen Captain Fantastic. Have you seen it, Van? Believe it or not, I haven't either. Um, 11.15 BBC Two, as you say. Uh, Bigot Monson did get all the praise for this. It is about a father raising his children off the grid who is forced to sort of go back into the world when he's, and his wife has a medical crisis and, and what that, how that affects his idea of parenting, his relationship with his family. Um, I, I, you know me, I'm a big Bigot Mortensen fan. We had crap options for this night anyway. You know, slim picking. Yeah. But I saw this was on, and I think we both would have gra- we'll gravitated towards this because I think it was the, the most interesting title on there. Even even mm. Sight Unseen was just the most interesting title on there. So let's see if we get proven right. 11.15, sorry, on Tuesday on BBC Two. One I know we're right on, though, yes. is on Film 4. On Wednesday at 20 past 11. Again, one of the best movies, in my opinion, of the last few years. And did finally, finally get Spike Lee that Oscar. It's none other than Black Klansman. Bex, Black oh. Klansman, we did Oscar night together when this was our, when this was a thing. We did, we did. David John Washington, Adam Driver. It's a fantastic movie about the infiltration of the Ku Klux Klan by a black man, essentially, which is um, which is amazing. It has got a really hard-hitting, mm. real-life end point to it, which I think just yeah. hits you like a freight truck at the end. But it's um, so worth your time. Such brilliant performances. Um, 11.20 on film four. Far too late for my liking, to be honest. I think more mainstream need to catch this. Let's just point out as well, for anyone confused by that concept, a black man infiltrate the KKK, let's just explain. He did that over the phone. This was the early 70s. He did that over the phone and then used his white fellow officer, played here by Adam Driver, who's a a Jewish man, I think comes up in our clip, um, as his, like, physical in-person proxy. So there's a whole thing where the voices don't match, where they have to pretend to be each other. It's great stuff, unmissable in my opinion. You can see this for yourself Wednesday, 11.20 on Film 4. Have a listen. Well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie, hot dog, white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. Then why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my business. It's our business. Ugh, what? What a love hearing that, that voice. That's the H pronunciation, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So that is, uh, yeah, that is on far too late for my liking, but it is on 11.20pm Film 4, so please do watch it, press record, and spend your time on it because it's such a great film. Finishing off our film of the week is going to be uh, I, Tonya on 10pm on BBC4. This is a great film by Margot Robbie, taking, again, another Oscar-nominated performance here of her playing... Is it Tonya Harding, I think it is, uh, who was the ice skater that caused all the controversy where she may or may not or most probably did cause issues for her fellow skater, uh, allowing her to basically try and triumph. And it is such a big controversy and such a great kind of Charlize Theron in Monster dressing Mm. down of the beautiful Margot Robbie for her to be in this role. It's brilliant. So funny as well. 
there's, there's a lot of contemporary pedigree as well. Craig Gillespie, who directed this and wrote and directed this, has gone on to do Pam and Tommy, on, which mm. is currently streaming on Disney+. And obviously Sebastian Stan is in this. So this is yeah. where the relationship with Sebastian Stan starts. And that carries over to Pam and Tommy. Uh, amazing performance, not just from Margot Robbie, though, uh, from Alison Janey, who got the, got mm. the Oscar for this. She deservedly yeah. got the Oscar for this. Um, I like Paul Walter Hauser in this as well. I think he's great fun. The film, though, is incredible. It is funny. It is dark it is menacing i've got such a love of this movie um perfect one to end the week with bex great choice by you credit where it's due 10 p.m film four next thursday end your week Ooh, with a trip to the ice Welcome back to Offscreen and in our last block of today's show we are taking you through the bits that are everything in between. It's on streaming, DVD and Blu-ray and we are kicking off oh, with a classic here. Well, two classics in fact. Available on Disney Plus as of today is Predator and Predator 2. Now I know this is going to be one that you love, Van. These are, these are your up, right in your wheel yard, aren't they? Well, do, you, do you remember uh, Case Allen used to present this show a few years ago, before your time? Um, one of the few times that he ever came to London from Sheffield for a press show, we did a day of screenings, and one of them was the reissue of Predator, I think this was three or four years ago. And oh my God, to see it on the big screen again, it's still incredible. Uh, I, I, I adore Predator. I can watch Predator over and over again. Most people I associate with socially can quote Predator unprompted, or will quote mm. Predator unprompted. Get rid of Jaffa. I get time to bleed. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Just pick your quote. Amazing movie. Predator 2, I think, has its moments. It's nowhere near as good as Predator 1. It is a mess compared mm. to Predator 1. But I appreciate what they were trying to do, even though it makes zero sense to have Danny Glover as an action star. But you know what? They make a good pair. Uh, the sequel has at least got Gary Busey in it and Bill Paxton, so there's two awesome reasons to see it right there. Um, Check them out. They're on Disney+. Plus. They're coming to Disney+, Plus through the start here, obviously, uh, as of today. Uh, another one that's out today, Friday the 18th, say we were recording this the day before, so I can't have seen this yet. There were no press links for this movie. Now, I don't know if Kermode was successful, because he and I were trying in a screening together to get a link for this movie. Um, no dice. No dice. I was told flat no by three different people. I... Don't know how he's fared. I'm betting probably better. But I'm going to watch this tomorrow morning. Uh, this is the latest reboot call of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did you see the last reboot call of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Bet? No, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. Right. It was called Texas Chainsaw, or to give it its full title, Texas Chainsaw 3D. It was released, I think, nine years ago, and it starred Alexandra Daddario. And in it, she's meant she was meant to be the daughter of Leatherface you know from like from the events of the first movie yet she had an iphone so you had a movie that had to be set in about 1996 with characters using iphone 4s's because it conveniently solved plot holes for them and allowed them to have a torch in a room when there was none available it was garbage even the 3d was terrible it was like headache inducing uh, it'd been post converted i think it was a terrible job and uh, this i hope fares better the idea this time around is you've got a group of modern gen z hipsters who are going to a small town in texas texas looking to gentrify it only to find that this deserted town it turns out does have one house still occupied. Three guesses which. So Harlow is a ghost town. We have a vision for this place. All it needs is young blood. I don't want to live here. This is a chance for people to start fresh somewhere. Somewhere safe. <gasps> hey guys. 
You should see this. What are you doing in our house? You really shouldn't be here. So Gen Z, so Gen Z. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what to make of it, the fact that you guys couldn't get any screeners. It's not always a good sign, but we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> it looked better than the last one. I can't figure out. I mean, it looked infinitely better than the last one. The last one was garbage. I mean, you well, know, a screener the only way just is just <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. That is available as of today on Netflix. So do make up your own mind, guys. We are interested to see what you think around that. Uh, you'll have to wait a couple of days, though, until Gone in 60 Seconds is available on Amazon Prime. That is a movie. Nick Cage, uh, Angelina Jolie. Uh, uh, Vinnie Jones. Everyone. <laughs> Vinnie jo- say again. Vinnie Jones, of all people, yeah. Yeah, um, we, we, I think any kid of the 90s will have watched this and kind of gone, yeah, fast cars, amazing, love it, let's go. Um, and yeah, and now you can kind of relive that nostalgia. Of a film from the, is this the 70s? I think it's a remake of a mid-70s Grindhouse film. I think. Oh yeah, it's definitely got Grindhouse feel to it. Like you can mm. see those links there with that. But uh, look, everyone loves that sort of film. So it's available on Amazon Prime for you on Sunday. And then moving on to Monday, um, I caught this actually on Disney Plus. It's now moving on to DVD and Blu-ray. Seen it, now. it is excellent. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, The King's Man, um, mm. which is an interesting kind of origin story of how the Kingsman came about. I think it's. Um, <laughs> it's got some really fun bits for recent fans in it as Rasputin. Yes. I mean, yeah, he's not, he's the best thing in the movie. He's, is he not the, oh, the sole reason you have to see this movie? Like you can take or leave the rest of the movie, but you gotta see Reese Ifans as Kung Fu Rasputin, which is incredible. Yeah. Russian dancing kung fu Rasputin is yeah. is the head, is the strap line that it needs. But it's um do you know what I think this actually takes a little bit of time to get going mm. and then actually the second half of this movie is a lot better than the first. Yeah. Um it is a bit it is a bit of a drag at the beginning but stick with it. It does it does perk up and and yeah, I think it was a fine se- uh fine prequel, prequel. to um <laughs> Yeah, fine prequel, not sequel, definitely not, uh, to The Kingsman. But I do think I do think someone was slightly underused, and that was Gemma Arterton. But, you know, yes. maybe if they were going to do anything more with it and maybe do a little spin-off with her, that would be quite interesting to see. But I'd, that, I'd it's, it's like good. to see, I'd like to see a, another spin-off, another prequel set spin-off to The Kingsman universe featuring Gemma Arterton during the suffragette movement, actually. Yeah, yeah, something like mm. that. Feels like that would be very fitting. Um, yeah. But there we go. That one's that. And then moving on to Monday, we've got oh, oh we've actually we're sticking with Monday, aren't we? We've got Monday for the Kingsman, but Monday also we've got Halloween uh, available on Netflix. I get lost with how many Halloweens we're at with this one. Yeah, we have to be specific with this. So Halloween 2007 is coming to Netflix now. I personally think this movie is garbage. I think it's a dumpster fire that should be confined to the reins of hell. Um, You know, damn you, Rob Zombie, for absolutely torpedoing one of my very favourite franchises. But, uh, yeah, this is Rob Zombie's 2007 remake or reimagining of the Halloween franchise, which makes the very crucial mistake of what happens if you, you know, make something with it, remake something with a twist when everyone knows the twist. It means you start incorporating that into the narrative. If you remade The Sixth Sense, now that everyone knows, you know, Bruce Willis is dead, you'd make it so obvious from the get-go. This kind of does the same thing, only 
they're not really burying a plot twist here. They're, they're not you know, like masking a plot twist. They're just making it part of the plot. So all the big reveals, he's his, he's his sister and all that stuff, is now baked into what's effectively a twisted biopic of Michael Myers, helmed by a not brilliantly remembered metal musician, if we're honest. Um, Malcolm McDowell is in it, which is, I suppose, a reason to see it. And Tyler Mayne makes a yeah, decently imposing, very different Michael Myers, but it is one for the completists. I've put it in there because, you know, we've got so many of the other Halloween movies on streaming. There are completists out there. I know the people that still want to take the Rob Zombie movies into the canon. My, my, one of my best friends <laughs> will still try and make a case for H1 and H2, as they're now referred. I'm not personally there, but you can, you can decide for yourself come Monday, all the way over on Netflix. But... On DVD and Blu-ray, this is one I haven't seen, but you have, Bex. One that's up for Best Actor this year. It's up for mm. a few other awards as well, I think. But uh, tell me about King Richard, Bex. Well, really, really great, deserving Best Actor nod for Will Smith in this. So King mm. Richard is the story of um, Richard Williams, who is the dedicated father with a plan for his two daughters, two out of five daughters, who yeah. he knows will become the greatest of all time. And that is Serena and Venus Williams. And it charts more of a focus on, I suppose, Venus Williams' initial rise um, with through the ranks. And then obviously we've got a slightly younger Serena Williams there. It is a brilliant movie about tennis. It is just so well done. It is, it is what, 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 what I love about this is that Richard Williams very much had a plan and was unwavering, controversially unwavering around that plan, around how his daughters are going to become the greatest in their sport. And he had full belief in them and he wouldn't let anyone, even the best coaches, I think it was Pete Sampras's coach and also Michael, um, oh gosh, I can't even think of his name. The one that threw the racket down. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, he, oh, anyway, it, their coach, McEnroe, John McEnroe. McEnroe. Sorry, oh, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, yeah, that was, Mc, yeah, John me as well for a second. I know, I know. Uh, John McEnroe's coach, like, he, it was just like, how does this guy from the, the edge of town who doesn't have any money know better than these coaches? And you know what? He's stuck by his guns and this is the performance that you want to watch because it is so brilliant. So definitely, definitely check this out. Okay, Mr. Williams, Wait, this no, is on, really hold, not necessary. Hold on. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. Now, I understand you got to do your job, even if some crazy neighbor do call talking foolishness. And I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to arrest us for that? Fine, but what you're not going to never do is come knock on this door talking about you had to blow they brains out in them streets because they running with hoodlums and doing drugs and things. That's what you're not never going to say in this house. Is it me or does... I mean, props to him because I'm, I'm glad he's, he's getting a nomination. Like, Will Smith will get an Oscar within the next five years, I think. Um, though, doesn't his voice in that sound weirdly like Eddie Murphy when he was doing stand-up impersonating his own drunk father? But I'm sure it's neither here nor there. Anyway, uh, let's move on then to uh, same day on Amazon Prime. This is one that just never seems to be out anywhere. Is the 2005 adaptation by Garth Jennings, recently did Sing 2, actually, uh, of Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I think is one of the best books ever written 
by a human being. I worship Douglas Adams. Um, this was not brilliantly received, but you know what? It is a feature film outing. It, is, it does have a lot going for it. If nothing else, it's got Stephen Fry as the voice of the guide. And the guide, it's, it, it, it's got some fantastic gags in it, which admittedly are lifted directly from the source material, less the adaptation, and Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent, which it's, it's good casting. It's good casting. It, if they'd done this 15 years earlier, it would have been Hugh Laurie opposite Stephen Fry as presumed the, uh, uh, the Ford Prefect. But you can see the 2005 adaptation. I'm sure there will be another one made for streaming, if there is a god, in the next few years. But that's on Amazon Prime come Monday. Our last one this week is also a DVD and Blu-ray out on Monday. We've got a clip for this one too. And this is one didn't quite tear up the Oscars the way I expected, although noticeably got hair and makeup. It's House of Gucci, Bex. You saw this one, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I did. And I was shocked that the Gaga got snubbed. I know we think it's a bit of a trashy movie, but I loved it. But I, 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 I think the performance was worthy of a nod, to be honest. But hey-ho, what a shame. But you guys can go and check this out on DVD and Blu-ray yourselves. It is a great watch. Father, son and House of Gucci. Very much <laughs> worth your time. <laughs> <laughs> she said she said she was in she, she went the full method on this and I'm sort of thinking how you sound like a pantomime villain the entire time you did this like all day every day this was your method this is what you did like wow okay I bet Gaga was fun for those few months but uh, yeah I think I actually had a great laugh with this took, took the misses we went and saw this in Michigan I thought it was great um, but yeah get this on DVD and Blu-ray come Monday and it rounds up what has actually turned out to be a pretty fun week despite there being you know naff all new mm. out there but you know next week we're going to make up for it a little you know we've got a movie I've been dying to see next week which I'll name last but we have got Joe Wright's Cyrano starring Peter Dinklage mm. next week we've got The Duke with Jim Broadbent next week we've got I'm, I have to be careful how we say this title F This Job. I'm just going to say F This Job, which is about a documentary about a Russian TV station. Because <laughs> that's oh, what God. I think of when I hear that title. But most importantly, a movie I've been dying, dying to my core to see. This is up there with The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage, as a movie I have to see. The Foo Fighters star in Studio 666, out in cinemas next week, Finally, all around the world. I can't wait. We're going to get to talk about They're partnering with Meat Liquor in the UK, which is one of my favorite restaurant chains as well. I, I can't wait. I'm going to dine out. Literally going to dine out on this movie. Can't wait. Let's see how it turns out. Studio 666 joins Cyrano, F This Job, and The Duke on next week's docket. Well, until then, I'm excited to see what Van comes up with his pre- intro intro for that one um, but for now I've been Vex Perfect I've been Van Connor and we shall return <laughs>